And so this is Second Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain for it, from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You force me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches? Except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through, though, through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps they may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Hmm. So Paul begins by his, about this boasting, and he talks hypothetically about this person who has these visions, 
say, oh, wow, you know, there's this guy, you know, he had these visions about heaven. He says, I must go on boasting. Say, I know a man, verse 2, in Christ who 14 years ago, this guy, I know, he was caught up to the third heaven. And he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. I mean, God knows. He said, I know this man was caught up into paradise. In the body or out of the body, whether he was whether it was real or it's like a vision, it's, I don't know, only God knows. And he heard these amazing things, verse 4, that cannot be told. You know, man may not utter it. That means it's, it's so amazing, you know, you're not supposed to tell other people about it. It's just between God and him. And he says, on behalf of this guy whom I know, I will boast about it. Wow, so King Tao. <laughs> but on my own, oh, I won't boast about myself. I boast about this guy because this guy had an amazing experience. For me, I will boast only about my weaknesses, all my scars. I'm lousy. This guy had this amazing experience. And then he says, verse 6, though if I should wish to boast, you know, I wouldn't be a fool. I wouldn't be wrong. You know, I would have some ground of talking up about some of the things that God has shown to me. For he, for he says, I would be speaking the truth. But you know what? I refrain from it. I don't do that. So that people won't think too highly of me. So that no one may think of me more, more than he sees or hears from me. So that I will just match that estimation. What you see is what you get. So verse 7, he says, God did something to ensure that he maintains this level of humility. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, these things that he's seen, a thorn in the flesh was given me in the flesh and a messenger of Satan to harass me. So this thorn, imagine this thorn digging into his flesh and it's a messenger of Satan. That means it's evil, it's so haranguing, it's so horrible. And it's there given by God to keep him humble, to keep him from becoming this proud person. And it turns out this other person he was talking about before who had this special vision 14 years ago, it's Paul. <laughs> he's talking about himself. But he's, he's, he's trying not to talk about himself by talking about himself. But he says, now that you know it's me, I had this amazing vision that God gave me. By the way, God also gave me something to keep me from becoming too big in my head about this vision. He gave me this thorn, this evil thing. Now, what's this thorn? Um... We don't know. <laughs> it could be maybe this anguish. It could be some physical, like ail, some some kind of disease or something. Maybe some people say it's eye disease. You can't really see very well, or maybe it might be some actually demonic kind of like attack by Satan. We are not sure, but whatever it was, it was so horrible that he actually prayed for for God to take it away, but God didn't. Verse eight, three times I pleaded, I begged the Lord about this that it should leave me, but God said to him. He said to me, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He says, you have enough. You have enough of my grace. You know, It's enough to keep you going. It's enough to keep you trusting in me such that you won't fall. And actually, actually, do you know what? The times when you're weak, that's when my power is made perfect. Actually, it's the times, Paul, when you are going through this painful, difficult time that actually you can actually experience how powerful God's grace and goodness is in you. And that's such a humbling thing when God doesn't take away that horrible, horrible disease or thorn in the flesh. And so he says, therefore, I will boast 
all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I will boast about all the things that embarrass me, that I wish I didn't have, but it's so painful. But you know what? When you look at that, you see not my power, but Christ's, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, verse 10, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's really saying something. Verse 11, I've been a fool. You forced me to, because of all this boasting, you know, I shouldn't be boasting, but you know, you have been so taken with the boastings of all these other people who claim to be super apostles. So I feel I need to boast, boast as well. He's boasting about his weaknesses. They're boasting about their strengths, but he's still boasting. It says, you forced me to it for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of the true apostles were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Meaning when Paul was with them, they actually saw some of these amazing things that God used Paul to do, these signs and wonders. And it might be some miracles, but the fact that he mentions signs and wonders and mighty works, it shows... Um, that there is a kind of connection with the Exodus. You remember all those plagues and those signs and wonders that Moses did before Pharaoh? Meaning these signs were not just meant to wow people, but it's meant to authenticate that Moses really is from God. But sometimes these signs and wonders can harden people's heart. Remember Pharaoh saw these signs? He just got harder and harder and harder. It might not have the kind of desired effect you think that people go, wow, you know, this is Paul, therefore I will admire him. But actually the opposite thing, opposite thing might happen your hearts may be hardened against Paul. And that might be, that might be one of the reasons why they've rejected Paul. They saw these signs and they actually rejected him all the more. Verse 13, For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. This burden he talks about is money. Said, you know, I didn't ask you for money. I didn't ask for you for payment. All these other guys did, but I didn't burden you with this. And he says, sorry. I'm sorry I didn't ask you for a salary. I didn't ask you to pay me so that I could serve you for free at my own cost, at the cost of all these other prayer churches who are supporting me in the gospel. I didn't ask you for anything. And so it's kind of ironic that therefore they are now seeking after all these other so-called pastors, leaders, super apostles who are actually leeching off them, being supported by them when Paul has done everything for them as a parent for free. So here he talks about this analogy of him loving them as a parent. Verse 14, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. See, I'm not looking for something, your money, your approval even, but I'm, it's you. I'm coming here all the way because Paul really loves these people. And that's a big difference between someone who loves the attention of people and people, someone who loves the people themselves, who cares for them. And you can see the times when they don't care for you, when they don't actually want you, you still come to them. You still don't turn away from them and you still haven't given up from them. Any, any parent will know this. Any parent will go through this. When their children, you know, sometimes turn away from them, their parent loves them even more. And he says, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents but parents for their children. So Paul sees himself as their parent, as their dad. He says, verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent 
for your souls. You know, it's it's this is cost I'm happy to bear. I'm not at all saying, therefore, you should pay me a salary. I'm not at all saying that you should pay me and treat me like those super apostles. I'm not envious of them because unlike them, I am happy to be out of pocket. I am happy to not gain anything from you, but you to gain everything from me. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? By granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and send the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? And here, therefore, they're twisting Paul's motives. They're saying, you know, because Paul didn't ask us for money, because Paul didn't take advantage of kind of like the honor of being called like pastor or leader or whatever from this church, whereas where the others did. Therefore, they're saying, oh, maybe he's manipulating us. And now that Paul is asking for money for on behalf of the poor in Jerusalem, ah, oh, he's actually taking some of that money for himself. He says it's for them, but actually he's taking it for himself. And that's why he mentions Titus. He says, you know, did I take advantage of you through any of those I sent to you? And he mentions Titus. He says, Titus is someone you know, someone you trust. You know, that's why he mentions him by name. You know, this is someone from you who is, you know, uh, handling the money from you. I'm not touching this. And that's why I want representatives from each of these churches so I'll be above board, you know, that I don't even handle the funds for myself. But I am asking that you help these brothers and sisters of yours in need. And that much I am asking for your help, not for my benefit. But again, he talks about your blessing such that they will be able to share in your spirit, your material blessing. They'll, you'll be able to share in their material blessing. We saw it in a couple of chapters ago. Verse 19, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. You know, he finds himself accountable mainly to God. And the reason he does that is not self-defense. You know, so I, I don't care what you think. But he says, at the end of the day, it's so that you yourselves will be built up, so that you yourselves will know that this gospel and this ministry you've given to you that's the real thing. That's the thing that's come from God. It's not from us and not something we came up with, but something that we're passing on to you by God's grace through this ministry that God himself has given to us. Verse 20, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find, find you not as I wish, and you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Imagine describing these words, um, describing your Bible study with these words, quarreling, jealousy, anger, describing your church with these words, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, describing your, you know, your ministry in these words, this odd order and you know, jealousy, you know, jealous of one another. And, um, and maybe, maybe that's the current state of that particular church you know i i'm sorry if this is the current state of your particular church and paul is saying that's why i've written this letter so that you know it won't be this case whereby when he comes he'll have to you know rebuke people and it will just be so unpleasant when they've already had so much opportunity this is his third visit especially you know, so much opportunity, they've had all of Paul's urging towards them in order not to be 
quarreling with one another, not to be envying one another, such that when they do come together, they'll be able to rejoice. They will have this very sweet kind of reconciliation and kind of like reunion again. Verse 21, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they've practiced. So very serious, you know, sins, overt sins that, you know, they continue doing. And what results is, in, is Paul having to take action, possibly disciplinary action. Again, it's worth saying that based on 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the main way in which a church disciplines is not through punishment, you know, that kind of like corporal punishment, but actually it's mainly just through uh, saying, okay, all right, it's time for you to go. You know, you cannot continue calling yourself a Christian, a member of this Christian community, and practicing these practices that go against God's word. And so that's the extent of kind of... Um, Christian discipline. It's, it's saying that, you know, therefore you can't continue on in this way. But it causes Paul to be humbled and to mourn. I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned in this way. And so it causes Paul actually anguish whenever he hears of this and actually when he has to act upon this. Again, think of the parent and the child. You know, the parent who doesn't want the child who carry on this way that is self-destructive and, you know, oftentimes you think the only two options are you accept it or you, um, or you kick them out or you really punish them. But here, the, uh, Paul's way is actually not accepting it, but at the same time mourning over it, saddening himself over it, and, and urging them again and again and again. And so if there is any kind of punishment, again, it's this idea of uh, uh, dissociating with them so that they may come back, but also using that as the last resort. Paul, in this initial stage, will still say, please, please, you know, don't, don't bring it to that kind of situation. Please know that I love you. I'm praying for you. I want you to turn back. I don't, I don't want to be in this position whereby there will be discipline, there will be action, and there will be just so much sadness. And so it, you know, it shows his anguish and his genuineness in his love towards this church but without ignoring the, the realities or the problems in this church. And I think that's just, you know, any pastor worth their salt, you know, dealing with any church. That's, you know, reality. You know, every church, even the most uh, loving and, and godly church will go through phases like this. And it's actually a test of a true pastor, a true godly person, loving pastor, you know, to react in this way that is almost like a parent towards their children. You know, it costs them more. You know, they, they do these things not to seek some kind of payment from their children. You know, parents don't do these things so that, oh, one day you pay me back, pay me back. I know, I know Chinese parents sometimes say that, but, you know, it's, it's more a cultural thing. They don't really mean it. But at the end of the day, they seek it for the good of their children because they love them. And at the end of the day, the parent always pays more than the children. It costs them to love their children in this sacrificial way. So yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Yeah, very, very heart-wrenching, a lot of suffering, a lot of anguish to do with, you know, loving people and loving people as Christians and loving people in ministry. Such a hard thing, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, really empathize with your pastors. Don't make it harder for them than it needs to be. And, you know, if some of you are pastors, your leaders, you know, really commend you when you love your members in this way. It is really something that displays, you know, Jesus' love. 
when you're able to display this kind of patience and you know kind really godly character that really helps people to turn back and always want to come back to Christ, even though they've turned away from him. I think for someone like Paul to be a pastor of a church like this, you know, only God could have matched me in this kind of situation, this loving pastor towards this church that has quite a lot of issues. <laughs> but Paul still appeals to them. And as a result, we get this, this letter. We get to learn about this internal behind the scenes working of how you know he does ministry, how he commends them and how he rebukes them, how he speaks to them lovingly as their pastor, their apostle, their you know, their their father even in Christ. Okay, all right, so yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this kind of ministry that you've given to us to almost share in Christ's suffering so that we might share in Christ's love for his people. Thank you for Paul. And we pray, Lord, you know, for pastors who love us like Paul, uh, how they go through anguish moments, how they have to make the hard calls, sometimes even saying the hard things, all for our good, all because they love us with the love of Christ. And please, would you bless them? Please, would you sustain them in this ministry? so that they maintain their integrity, they maintain that love as well. And in that sense, their weakness will display your power. Lord, you know, it is so humbling to think of someone who has been shown so much like Paul, these revelations and these gifts and these ministries, but still to have this thorn in his flesh. But in him, we see that your grace is sufficient and your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so for us, when we go through similar things, when we are put through trials and we are, you know, we're, we're tempted, Lord, help us to see how it is your purifying grace that enables us to continue trusting in you, to continue moving on faithfully and doing your will, even though we might have to deal with these weaknesses and these situations of weakness in ourselves. So thank you. We praise you. We love you. And we ask again that you always sustain us by Christ and by his spirit. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. See you. Bye.